0: From the Zimmerman Symphony Center in Canton, Ohio, this is Orchestrating Change. I'm Matthew Jenkins Yaroshevitz, Associate Conductor of the Canton Symphony Orchestra.
1: And I'm Rachel Hegemeyer, Manager of Education and Community Engagement.
0: Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining us.
1: This podcast will navigate the issues that exist in the field of classical music and the world at large. We invite you to listen with open ears as our guests share their experience as underrepresented professionals in the music industry.
0: Our guest today is Ryan Walks, Manager of the Talent Development Program at the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra which has provided training and career development to young classical musicians in the Black and Latino communities for over 25 years. Prior to entering the World of Arts Administration, he was trained as a trumpet player and music educator, receiving all of his degrees from historically Black universities. Ryan Walks, welcome to Orchestrating Change. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, my very first podcast. (laughs)
1: Ah, yay. Well, I feel like we've had quite a few people. It's our first podcast, Absolutely, which yeah. is fun. I like that a lot. Well, um, Ryan, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do?
2: Sure. So um, as you guys just said, I currently work with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra as the manager of the talent development program. But prior to um, uh, coming over here, I was Um, A young aspiring music student originally from Southern California growing up in the Los Angeles area where um, obviously they have a huge music scene in various different genres. Um, My family has a musical background so I was able to um, do the normal thing that everybody else does and start off with piano lessons and then I got I think uh, there was a church performance that my grandfather took me to where I actually saw a full-on classical orchestra and then from then on I just really fell in love with instrumental music and I was like I want to learn all those instruments and do what those people do but um, I gravitated towards the brass so as through elementary middle school and high school um, I was into brass and band music for primary uh, for the most part so um, we ended up moving from Georgia to California this is actually my second time being in um, Georgia the first time I moved um, getting ready to go into high school and I was in Clayton County, Georgia which is just south of the city of Atlanta and so I finished off high school there and that's how I was able to get more accustomed to the uh, historical black college and university side because they have huge marching band programs. I was doing marching band in high school on trumpet of course and so I actually auditioned for them on top of um, some other schools across the country and then I ended up getting more scholarship um, at that time from Thune-Cookman University so We moved back to California, but I kind of segued on down to Florida for college and just jumped back and forth from the east to the west coast. And I've literally been doing that for like since 2007, just whether flying home from college or in grad school or just, you know, doing work. So it's just been like hop, hop back and forth between both coasts and then um I was permanently working in California, got accustomed to the musicians union in Los Angeles and was doing some instrumental music with their um their Union Symphony Orchestra. So if you look on the roster, they may still have me listed on both trumpet and flute, which I think is cool. Um, but then some people are like, oh you're not as serious as you should be. But yeah, I do I like say I love instrumental music and it's one of my hobbies, but um, I actually ended up relocating back to Georgia in 2017 and was able to um, get accustomed to the Woodruff Arts Center, um, you know, the big powerhouse of music and art in the South. And so I was able to, um, you know, intern and volunteer some time with the uh, ASO, which was a really a mind-blowing experience because it was actually my first position. Um, in the arts field and orchestral field from actually what I studied in college. So it was like a great, you know, honor and humbling experience. And I've been here, been working with them ever since. And,
0: you know, just, uh, just enjoying every moment of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: So you alluded to the the fact that you come from a musical family. Tell us a little bit more about the family members who are musical uh, or were musical and how music factored into your home life when you were a child.
2: So my family is originally from a country called Guyana in South America, and they used to be a former British colony. So the former name is British Guyana, and they're the only English speaking country on the entire continent. So they relocated and came here. And so of course, with that cultural ties to England is a big tie to the classical music side. So my grandfather actually um, became an ordained minister in the Presbyterian church and that's how I was able to get it and he was an organ player an organist so that's mm-hmm. one of the ways I was able to get accustomed to music my mom and some of my aunts and uncles trained on piano and um and my, and my some of my relatives they also sang and did vocal works and actually formed their own groups within the church as well and so but like I said before I really got into the instrumental side of it and um once I started off with taking uh, piano lessons with one of our uh, one of my grand grandparents' friends, Mr. Carrington, and he gave me piano lessons. I actually hated it at the time, and if I could go back in time, I would literally slap myself in the face and be like, "Stay and do this. It will pay off so much for you in the future." But I hated it at the time, and then as I got a few um, few years uh, older, my family was able to get me to. Um, into the, like I said, the instrumental side. So I was able to look at the trumpet and some of the other instruments. And I was like, I want to do this. But yeah, that's how we kind of got started with um, my influence in music from my family.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you said, so you mentioned you chose, uh, you gravitated towards brass instruments eventually and you chose trumpet. Um, And then you, so I think you said this, you were looking at the, so you went to Bethune-Cookman University for your bachelor's and then Norfolk State for your master's, both of which are HBCUs or historically about colleges and universities. Um, Why did you, you mentioned the marching bands, which I would love to talk about because the marching bands of HBCUs are amazing and very, very cool. So I'd love to hear a little bit about why you ended up choosing those institutions for your education. And then if you also want to talk a little bit about the marching band, because I'm very interested in that.
2: Well, that's primarily the reason why I ended up at those institutions because, like you just mentioned, marching band, um, the music scene for a lot of historical black colleges is, you know, um, symphonic band music, marching band, and then outside of that is the um, choir and choral works. And so, being in Atlanta at the time, a lot of the music educators who are currently teaching marching bands are alums of these same historical black colleges, so Bethune Cookman, Florida A and M. Uh, Morehouse, Howard, Tennessee State, all of them. So they come and, you know, they teach um, all these schools in the metro Atlanta. So there's already a big significance and a tie to historical Black colleges, in the, especially in the Atlanta area, just based off of that, because it's like, you know, you're being taught by a product of a, um, an HBCU. So, and the band directors at these colleges will actually come and come to the schools like uh, the one my high school, Morrow High School in Clayton County, and um, as part of their recruitment efforts mm-hmm. to come and audition kids, um, offer them scholarship money and, you know, help them get to the college level. So that was how I ended up um, being able to afford uh, going to Bethune-Cookman. My number one choice was always going back to California and going to like the University of Southern California. Mm-hmm. That looked like my dream school. And that actually might be if I, you know, am brave enough to go for my doctorate, <laughs> but we'll see in the future. But um, I, it would just, it just made more sense at the time to just go ahead and select um, Bethune-Cookman based on what I was afforded at, uh, as a trumpet player in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing marching band in high school, absolutely loved it. And then I got to the college level and then it became very serious. It was like more like a, like a business aspect of marching band. It was like a big part. So like if you were majoring in music and you were doing marching band in college, you were living in the music building like some of these students at conservatories will do when they're trying to prepare for recitals. It's like you wake up, you go to your other classes, some of them, your music classes are always going to be in the music building. You go eat lunch, you go back and you stay in marching band for like the evening to, you know, sometimes late at night, depending on how um, how long practice goes. So it was a a really big eye-opening experience. We got to travel. I got to go to many different states on the East Coast just because of uh, especially my freshman year, we had a lot of uh, away games, mm-hmm. so we were going all the way up to, actually, my grad school. We did a game, drove all the way from Daytona Beach, Florida, to North Virginia um, in the winter and, you know, just went and did a battle of the bands there, a game and a battle of the bands there, and went all across Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. So we were on tour. Uh, on top of going to Florida, we were able to do some halftime shows. for um, for major football teams like Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Um, we did the Miami Dolphins halftime when I was there, and one more I'm forgetting, but um, it's really like a powerhouse and a big integral part of what people think of when they, you know, envision historical black colleges and universities, so um, it was great to, you know, have that experience as well and just
0: um, enjoy it um, off of what I was doing in high school.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's and really cool.
0: Did you march at Norfolk State when you were getting your master's degree as well?
2: Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> the band there is great, but I was doing my dissertation at the time. And like I said, it's a lot of time and energy and effort. So I did not want to set myself up by trying to do a 70-page paper and also spend my evenings marching um, for halftime games. So it, uh, it, yeah, I just had to, you know you know, make the best decision for timing. Absolutely. what makes sense.
1: absolutely not. And what are, <laughs> yeah, uh, and what are your, your degrees in?
2: So my bachelor's degree is in um, trumpet performance from Bethune-Cookman or music performance, mm-hmm. a bachelor of arts in music performance. And then my master's is a um,
0: master's degree in music education. Cool.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. Very, very cool. That's what I thought. I was just, yeah. Very
0: so cool. <laughs> you majored in music performance undergrad as a trumpet player are, is, I'll just ask straight up, is there orchestra at Bethune-Cookman? And in general, orchestra or not, what are the classical performing opportunities at both Bethune-Cookman and Norfolk State?
2: So both of these colleges will, especially, um, for whatever instrument you're majoring on, especially on the band side, so flute, clarinet, trumpet, trombone, percussion, what have you. um, You're still going through and studying the standard repertoire, solo repertoire for those instruments like Mm -hmm. you would as a conservatory or a school of music. So I was still tackling, you know, the Haydn trumpet concerto, um, polishing that among other things with my teachers, Abathom Cookman. Um, We don't, we, at that time, we didn't have like a string program. So mm-hmm. the main focus was, like I said, with, you know, band instruments. So that's how you got your, um, your classical training, by going through the standard repertoire for those solar instruments. And then also for the ensembles, you had concert band and symphonic band. I think it may be, have, uh, they may have expounded it um, at this point since I graduated in 2012. But um, so it was more, like I said, um, symphonic band um, focused. At that point, so but you were still um, having to do a lot of the same requirements, similar to what you know. I'm sure we'll get into when we talk about the talent development program. Mm-hmm. Is you have your private lessons, going through that same repertoire, you're still cl- going through the classical training structure. Um, they're all, of course, being historical black colleges. There are also um, opportunities to do a, a more um, genres such as jazz mm-hmm. and um, more popular music that you can do as well. Mm-hmm. But um, for performance focused. The ensemble and um, solo repertoire that you go through are, like I said, mostly at that time for me was mostly band oriented. Right. So of course you had symphonic works that may have been transposed um, for bands that may have had strings, but you put them, in, you write them for a band um, uh, ensemble just because we didn't have a string program at right.
0: that time. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I've played a number of those myself, yeah. having grown up as a saxophone player, playing in wind ensemble. I've uh, played a number of orchestral, as we call them, bandestrations as opposed to <laughs> orchestrations of uh, famous pieces of orchestral music. Yeah. So, uh, some of your looking back at some of your colleagues who were with you at Bethune Cookman, are any of them currently playing in major symphony orchestras around the country? So a big, and you've got to
2: forgive me because I am horrible with keeping up with people. So I can't <laughs> confirm or deny because some of them, I don't want to say yes or no because some of them actually might be there. I know a lot of our um, my colleagues that were in the vocal uh, training program mm-hmm. have gone on and toured around the world in Europe and Asia and have done really great things for their performance level since graduating Cookman. Um, one of them obviously was, not in my class for music performance but i think she was uh, a year ahead of me um and but a lot of my colleagues i'm actually seeing here and like i said at the beginning are actually teaching in the um, school districts across atlanta and working with students because um at that time when i was there most of the students majoring in music wanted to go into music education Mm. so and music technology So I was one of the few that wanted to go into performance and try and go that route. So there weren't a whole lot of us specifically performance. Not to say that some of the education majors um, weren't at a level where they could do performance, but they came to the school already knowing that they wanted to go and teach and and go into the education Mm -hmm. programs and create their own marching bands or build up marching bands as well. So um, like I said, but uh, for the colleagues that I did talk to, I know a lot of them do a lot of uh, had a lot of performance opportunities as well, but like I said, I have not kept up with <laughs> some of them. <laughs> this is, so, this is now
1: a call to all of the people who went to college with Ryan,
2: <laughs> right? There, Good there joke. are some, I'm pretty sure there are some orchestras across the south where if I went through their uh, their roster, I might say, like, oh, I went to college with
0: that guy, <laughs> so yeah,
1: yeah, 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 so. Why, you know, you talked a little bit about why you ended up there. Looking back on the experience of both institutions, what do you think you got from going to a historically black college that you wouldn't have gotten if you had been at more of a more traditional conservatory setting or even just a more tradition or a more uh, mainstream uh, college in America?
2: One thing I was able to get um, at that time was one, I was able to perform with a lot of people who looked like me. Um, and,
0: you know, hey we, had that,
2: uh, that we were able to afford those kind of... Yes. Ryan, hold
0: on a second. So we, our internet just shorted out. You froze for a second. Just start from the top of this answer. We'll edit it together. Yeah. Okay. Can you guys, you guys can hear me okay Yeah, now? we're good. It, right just, it froze yeah. for a second.
1: So I think okay. you started... We lost
0: you for about seven seconds. Yeah. So we're good now.
1: Yeah, I think you said, like... I got to perform with a lot of people who looked like me. That was the, I think if you start there
2: again, we'll be good to go. Right. So, what I, the experience I was, I was able to get to, from these two institutions was that I was able to be in music programs and perform with a lot of people that looked like me and came from similar backgrounds. So, we already had that cultural um, connection there. Um, another thing that, um, that I got that I don't think a lot of kids at conservatories at that time were getting, I don't want to misspeak. Was that I was really um, able to see more um, music repertoire by composers and musicians of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got more acquainted with Adolphus Hale William Grant Steele, Florence Price, you know, across the board on both instrumental and vocal music. And so there was um, a highlight of being able to, you know, incorporate that into your um, weekly recitals that we have in our music department. So. Um, It was really a great experience to know that, you know, even though the, this institution may not have been created for people who look like me, there were still, there was still significant representation, Mm -hmm. albeit maybe small, but you could still find it um, as you
0: were going through, as I was going through my studies. Right, right, right. Ryan, remind me, I, I, uh, I, all three of the composers that you just mentioned have become near and dear to my heart during the pandemic, and I just can't wait to, when we get out of all of this, to start conducting their music. Uh, if I remember, I, I believe Hale Stork is a professor or was a professor at Norfolk State. Is that true?
2: I believe so, yes. One of my colleagues who was actually here in Atlanta teaching at one of the high schools um, uh, was able to... Uh, do some research on him and I believe so as well. I'm sorry, my mind is blanking, but I think you're right. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. no, and all their music is so wonderful. I'm curious, did you play any band arrangements of any of their, either of those three composers major symphonic works at any point?
2: We did do some works by Still when I was there and actually as my part of my undergrad dissertation, I highlighted steel and some of the works that we did from him that were um, arranged for band at the time. So, like I said, it was really great to have that um, going forward. And then, of course, he was, you know, had a, a residency with um, leading the L.A. Philharmonic um, back in his day, which I thought was great because that's where I'm from. So he, he was, he quickly became, like, one of my favorites to to go toward and get get his music on my playlist.
1: Yeah, yeah. I We were fortunate enough with our youth symphony uh, this past year, even though we were doing things virtually until very recently, in the fall, they put together completely remotely uh, William Grant Still's poem for orchestra, um, which I think it was a lot of fun to put together. And it came together really, really nicely. But I think that was one of the first times a lot of those students had been
0: exposed to his work. So it was really fun to be able to do that. And sadly, uh, none of our students in our advanced orchestra are from the African-American community, but I I at least hope that the experience of playing this has opened their eyes the way our eyes were opened during the pandemic to this music that we just had not really thought about before. It wasn't, you you and I are the exact same age. We both uh, graduated college in 2012 and it was not part of the curriculum, playing these pieces or even studying these pieces not part of the curriculum as an undergraduate, or uh, when I got my conducting degree in the mid 2010s, it just wasn't a part of the the conversation. And I think, you know, as as horrible as the pandemic was for all of us, the fact that this music is now getting the attention it deserves is one of the many, one of the few, I should say, one of the few gems (laughs) that has come out of this pandemic. For the classical music profession, but it's an important one,
1: right? And well, I mean, right. and as someone who's graduated more recently than both of you, it still really wasn't in the curriculum when I was at a conservatory. I, I, I'm trying to think back to music history for and <laughs> think about our the, but you know, it, it was so much focus on. I I don't remember learning about these people, no, so even all. even you know, as recent as a few years ago, it it wasn't in the curriculum. So, I'm I'm curious because you've made the transition now into more administrative work and you did your master's on education. So I'd love to know kind of your thought process and what your goal was maybe when you first entered your undergrad and how that has morphed and shifted and kind of what you see for yourself. Cause I, you know, I'm someone who got degrees in arts administration and performance. And I, I think both are very important. I love both, but I'd love to know where your brain is at with all of, you know, both of your degrees and where you are at now?
2: Well, when I originally, for I think even when I was in eighth grade, like I said, when I first saw a full-on symphonic orchestra playing music, I was like, that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I got older and I was like, this is really hard. And then I got even older and I was like, there are a lot more people who are really talented and are better than me so i was like you know some of the ensembles that i was privileged to play in i was like this is really great and i really like doing this but i kind of um transitioned to education because i was like okay well let me see what this is like i still was doing performing but i was like let me just you know see how many other aspects of music that i can you know get accustomed to and a part of me still um there's like a part of me that's like every time I pick up my trumpet, I'm like, okay, I want to go audition for, you know, the Seattle Symphony or whatever. But um, I ended up trans uh, moving, changing direction to arts administration, especially um, because I was like, I don't think I can handle teaching. I was like, I can barely manage myself, let alone a whole classroom. So I was like, let me go and see what else is out there. So when I was able to go and be part of um, the musicians union out there, and I was able to go to the building and, you know, um, connect with a lot of people, that's where I started getting the ideas of arts administration. So when I was able to come, when I actually moved to Atlanta, um, I looked online and just saw, you know, what opportunities were available at the time. And there were some good performance opportunities as well, but I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know, you know, with my, my, my background and I was like, uh, maybe, maybe not, but then I also saw some arts and programs that I was interested in, so I um, applied for them, and I was able to connect with a lot of people um, through that, where I was able to jump in and just say, you know, say, hey, you know, I'm interested in, you know, seeing how you guys work with an actual orchestral organization, which is how I got accustomed to the, um, acquainted with the Atlanta Symphony, and so once I started doing that, I was like, okay, yeah, I think arts administration is the is the way I'd like to go for now, but a big part of me still mm. looks at performance, trumpet, you know, music, trumpet repertoire, new trumpet repertoire, and I'm like, okay, maybe I can take out the horn and attempt this piece. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't, but <laughs> that's how that's kind of how to do my transition. Like the biggest was like I, the biggest was like like my colleagues in college. I was like, I don't think I can handle teaching. <laughs>
1: I think that's okay. so funny that you say you're like I can't manage, I can barely manage myself, let alone other people, and now you're literally a manager of a bunch of people. And I just
2: <laughs> such is life, right?
1: <laughs> the, the irony of how how arts administration just takes what you're thinking. It's like never mind, you're doing this instead. Exactly, uh, I find that that's really interesting. Um, so you joined Atlanta Symphony 2017.
0: And I yeah. I, I just want to jump in yeah, here really yeah. quickly. You I guess you moved to Atlanta, but not for a job at the Atlanta Symphony. Yeah, you, I guess right. you wanted to live in Atlanta and then the Atlanta Symphony came after that. So
2: it's actually interesting. I was yeah. living in Los Angeles County at the time and I was actually renting a place. And so the landlord um, decided that They were going to sell the place and move to Arizona. So at that time, and it's weird because I was actually um, working part-time in property management, so I kind of had the insight. I was like, this is in the middle of summer, it's prime season, it's already an expensive market, you know, so I'm not going to be able to find anywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, affordable in the short amount of time that I had. So I ended up just, um, a lot of my family had relocated out here, so I ended up coming and staying with family then and just kind of the original plan was you know find something here get myself back up and then probably go back out there and start doing you know music again or what I could but then I ended up staying um out that way and then that's how a lot of things started coming forward with you know going into downtown and midtown and being acquainted with certain people and the arts uh and the uh arts and music field and that's how I was able to uh brush elbows with somebody at the ASO and end up meeting them. And so that's how that came to be. But yeah, you're right. I originally did not come here specifically thinking that I was going to be working with the the ASO at the time.
1: Right, 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 right. So did you, how long were you in Atlanta before? Because we, you know, 2017 is when you started development and working and doing a little bit in the development department. How long was it before you started working with the ASO?
2: I got to... Atlanta, the summer of June, and this June is a June is a key month. (laughs) But since I've been back, because it's been a lot of, it's been the month where a lot of things have happened for me. Right. But I got here in June of 2017, and I want to say maybe late September is when I actually was able to uh, meet and get an interview with um, one of the staff at the time in development. Her name is Brenda Turner. She's actually gone on to um, continue her performance, um, professional performance training in europe so she's in germany and italy right now but i actually was able to meet with her and she brought me on and i was like you know i'm just looking for some experience in this type of work and you know however you guys can fit me into helping i'm definitely you know available because like i said i'm not doing anything at the pump at the moment <laughs> but trying to survive so whenever you need me i can be ava- i can be available so i actually started working with them um mostly with Brenda and the current uh, staff person development, William Keene, and I just was there every Tuesday and Thursday. So I would go in the mornings and they would, I would help them, you know, with preparation for some of our um, donor dinners in the Robert Shaw Room. And so I would help um, organize things for that and also do, you know, uh, I told them no task is too tedious. I can sit there and go through like a million you know files to check off if you guys need Mm -hmm. to make sure everything is ready for what you guys need but helping with the Robert Shaw room dinners, um, helping with the um, announcements and communication to all the patrons and symphony Mm -hmm. donors and making sure that those get mailed out properly as well and um, just you know doing a lot of setup um, in preparation for ASO concerts as well so it was really great you know be in the building and actually sit at a cubicle and, you know, feel like you're actually going to work, even though it was only two days, it you know, kept focused. So, okay. and, I, and they, Brenda was like, you can use this, you can call this an internship on your resume, volunteer, it's fine. I was like, no, no sweat. I'm just happy for the opportunity. So. Mm.
1: That is music to a development person's ears. There's no task too tedious. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is, they yeah, were probably, oh, now, great. No, now knowing
2: what development is, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: That, yeah. that's a lot. <laughs> so at, at what point did you transition to full time yeah. at the Atlanta Symphony? So
2: from that point, I was able to meet a lot of staff in other departments. And so I came across um, a lady who became my mentor pretty much. Her name is Adrienne Thompson. And she was the manager of the talent development program at that time. Really, really smart, hands down, knows how to handle situations in a calm manner, just knows, you know, if anything comes up, she knows how to handle it. So I admired that a lot, but we actually were doing a, um, a mailing prep for, um, uh, an event for the symphony. And so she uh, was able to help us and that's actually how we got introduced. And so I just told her, and I was like, you know, I'm originally from Southern California. I just moved out to Georgia. So, um, I'm really into classical music. And right now I'm really interested in seeing how you know a major orchestra works behind the scenes and on stage and so that's how we got acquainted I remember it's funny because we actually had a fire drill and later on like a few weeks later and so um I was talking with her then and she was like she's like are you still looking for a job and I was like yeah she was like part-time or full-time and I was like anytime and so (laughs) um she was like well you should apply for my job and so she started telling me about you know more about the town development program and how they were coming up on their 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking for somebody to help um, bring on as a part-time coordinator to help facilitate you know, cause it was it was a, a lot for the 25th anniversary. There's a, a lot that was being planned for that year. So um, I sent her my resume, um, let her know I was interested until I went online, did the, the application and, um, Told her that I had submitted it and I just, you know, was still going and doing development and just waited to hear back from, you know, when I would meet with HR. Um, I ended up having my interview with HR and I thought, I, I thought I bombed that interview horribly. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But I met with them first and then I met with her and did an interview with her afterwards. And then I kind of uh, got my bearings when I was talking with her and giving her my experiences. So after that, June of 2018 came around. That, that's when they um, called me and told me that if I was interested then um, they would like to bring me on for the position as the assistant coordinator for the 25th anniversary. So it was a part-time temporary job at that time. And that's how I got um, ended up um, actually being employed through the Atlanta Symphony. Um, fast forward to barely a year later, um, she actually got hired to go start a pathway program up in the Chicago area where she's originally from called Chicago Musical Pathways. Mm. So right before our big um, concert where we had some of our alums come and perform with, perform and solo with the Atlanta Symphony. um, Right after that, she went on to go start that position. So she was, you know, prepping me. She was like, you know, if this is something that you really want to do, I think you'd be great for it. And you should consider, you know, just being the manager for the time being. So I was like, you know, I just kind of threw it out there, I knew it was a risk, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, so I was like, you know, I'll go ahead and um, put my hand in for the manager. So I actually became the interim manager, um, I want to say, just around June of that year and, you know, auditioned for the full-time manager position. I know there were a lot of, you know, good candidates for that as well, but um June of 2019 comes around. I like, <laughs> come back and they're they are like, you know, we'd like you to, if you want to, we would like you to go ahead and, you know, assist them, uh, um, step in as full-time manager for the TDP program. So that's kind of how my, uh, my journey has been with the Atlanta Symphony um, uh, since coming in 2017. So it's been, it's been fast, but, you know, really, really um, fulfilling and humbly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you weren't June. kidding, June, exactly.
1: <laughs> I was like, what, what is happening this June? You got any big plans?
2: Well, it'll be my anniversary, of course, but, Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see um, definitely some vacation time. So.
1: There you go. There you go. That's exactly right. That's exactly Brilliant. right.
0: <laughs> so, okay, let's now get into the nitty-gritty a bit yeah. about the Talent Development Program. It's been going on in incredibly yes. it's been going on for over 25 years now tell us sort of about the history and how it all got started so this was started
2: as a civil rights initiative in the classical field through atlanta um our program's founder mrs zero g hill who is the wife of civil rights activist jesse hill wow. um, was a big supporter of the arts and um, one of our board members of the um, of the Atlanta Symphony, and so she was regularly attending concerts. And she and some of our co-founders, um, which include Miss Mary Grambling, saw that there was a need to kind of help bridge the gap between the music that was taking place in Atlanta Symphony Hall to reflect the wider community of who was in the audience and what actually made up the city of Atlanta at the time, mm-hmm. because you know she was. Uh, I'm sure at that time was probably one of the few people of color actually in Symphony Hall enjoying the music. And so they started to create these initiatives um, by one bringing it to the Atlanta Symphony saying, you know, we need to have more interaction with our community to come in and enjoy the great music that's happening in this hall. So they were able to work with a lot of with one with the Atlanta Symphony Associates as a um, a really strong um, foundation with them, but also Um, representatives um, of color in the Black education field, music field, arts field, business leaders across the community to um, help provide funding and support that would eventually give kids within the Atlanta public school system the training and resources they need to be able to become successful musicians. And by doing so, having their family and their communities come and actually see the product of that in Symphony Hall. So this was um, under works in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, by 1993, they were able to um, have their first inaugural class of 10 students that was actually coming through this program. And by that point, the program was actually helping them um, prepare for Atlanta Symphony Youth Orchestra audition. So there could be more representation within that orchestra as well, which is still a a primary goal for us today. And just to really just bring people of color into the classical music side because they're, whether TDP existed or not, I'd like to think that there was interest in classical music from people who look like me. And so this was just one way to help make, um, help get the um, communication and relationships there so they can see, so they could come to a space and feel comfortable enjoying music like we do in many other genres and forms.
1: Right. So can you, in today's form and what it looks like now a little bit, what, what are the, who are these students? How old are they? Like how, I guess, kind of, is this a program that's, you know, from four to high school or is it like gauged at a certain age group? And, you know, what are these students getting from this program that um, is, you know, different than if they were just taking lessons out in the
2: community? Right. So, we serve within our program rising fifth grade all the way up to 12th grade. So if you come in as a fifth grader and you um, fulfill all the requirements each year, you stay with us until you graduate high school. For the audition process, we take rising fifth grade up to rising 10th grade. Um, We've made exceptions for certain 11th and 12th graders but that comes directly from musicians in the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra Mm. simply because one of our main focuses to prepare them the the Mm. overall goal is to prepare students for college and conservatory auditions for you know conservatories or schools of music so if you're coming to us at grade 12 and you know you're self-taught and Mm. you've only taken lessons for a year then we won't have enough time to prepare and you tell us you want to go to like even UCLA and prepare those auditions. We won't have enough time to get you to that level at that time. So, tenth grade is the cutoff for the audition process. But um, that's the the kids that we serve. And over time, since 1993, you know, uh, originally it was called the Black Town Development Program because that was the first, you know, underrepresented group that we focused on. Right. As we started going 10 years later after that, in 2003, we expanded to more areas across Metro Atlanta, originally starting at just Atlanta Public Schools, then to Fulton County, which is where Atlanta is housed, and DeKalb County, and then, like I said, across Metro Atlanta, but then we also started to um, grow and support um Uh, the growing Latino community in the Atlanta metro area as well um, as another underrepresented group in the field. So those are the kids that we target in TDP. We currently work with 25 students a year um, and each year after we do the auditions based on the number of kids that graduate from the program or decide to withdraw or um, uh, or yeah or decide to withdraw then however many spots we have at that point is what we're looking to fill so right now this year the kid we have candidates that are looking to fill five sp- um, spots in our program to get us back to 25
1: and that's the fifth grade through 10th grade that the are uh, auditioning okay so interesting so, so are these students also involved in the youth symphony program of atlanta
2: so the yes and no. So okay. for a lot of these students, um, um, the way the reason why they come to TDP overall is uh, the general consensus is I want to be a better musician on my instrument. So but a lot of times they may not have had lessons at all. Right. They may be only um, in band and or orchestra in their schools and may not be aware of the local youth orchestras across Atlanta or if they are, they may not um, be ready to or, um, to go and you know do those auditions. Right. Once they come into TDP, we start to work with them and pair them with a the teacher that can help them get ready. It's pretty much a pre-college program. So a lot of what they do mm-hmm. in TDP is a lot of what's echoed by the time they get to college or conservatory. So when they come to us, um, by the time they are in their junior year, they have they have to have at least audition for a spot in the Atlanta um, Youth Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Only to the fact that, like I said before, that was one of the. Um, earlier goals of the program to make sure that more black students at the time were successfully auditioning into ASYO. And that's something that we um, still consider um, and keep up with going forward. So each year, a significant amount of our students in TDP um, are represented in the Atlanta Symphony Youth Orchestra as well. Gotcha.
0: So uh, with that in mind, what would you say if you, I I don't know how much direct interaction you've had with the Atlanta Symphony Youth Orchestra What percentage of the youth orchestra is made up of people of color?
2: It's, I would probably say, and it's kind of weird now because due to COVID, we actually have multiple ensembles. So normally we, before COVID times, the youth orchestra would be one large ensemble Mm. of about 100 to 102 students. And I would say probably 10% of that would be made up of students of color. And this is, you know, this is solely um, African American and Latinx students. Right. So between 5% to 10% at the highest since I've been around is what gotcha. I've noticed for TD, um, for TDP representation or students of color representation right. in ASYO. Cause there are students that have been in ASYO that aren't in TDP. Right. Um, this time around since we have four ensembles because oh, we wow. can only have you know no more than 30 to 40 students on stage at a time with social distancing um, right requirements. It's nearly the same, but um, there's a student in TDP, I think, represented in all but one of our groups, in our in our smallest chamber wins group currently. So, but Gosh. generally in a normal format, about 10, um, anywhere upwards to 10%. So,
1: wow. yeah, yeah. So, okay. Interesting. Which is, I mean, that's still... I mean, and I think this is what you've said multiple times. It's still like a big effort for you all. That's it's right at the forefront of your minds because looking at probably the population of Atlanta, it's not that is not comparable between, you know, the population of the youth symphony and the population of Atlanta. And we, I mean, we we pointed out we definitely see that here in Canton. Our youth symphony is almost exclusively uh, white students uh, with um, a single this year, a single African American student and a few students of the Asian and South Asian community. Um, and so what are the re- audition requirements for TDP because it sounds like those audition requirements or or what are required of those students is, is a very different set of criteria than what would be expected of someone auditioning for a youth symphony.
2: Exactly. So. TDP require, audition requirements are very weak, obviously, just in the fact that we're trying to work with students that may not have any prior knowledge of, you know, classical music or even the classical orchestra side. Right. So the standards that we have is broken down based on their instrument and their grade level, and that's just the scales. So if you're a fifth grade trumpet player, that will ask you to um, perform these scales for the first round of auditions. For the solo repertoire, just because we know certain students may not have have had private lessons consistently Mm -hmm. or are self-taught or may not have had lessons at all, they get to choose their own repertoire, and we usually tell them, pick the piece that you feel that you can really demonstrate your musicality for our musician panel that's that's listening to you. So we don't, obviously, we don't have any screened auditions for in-person because we already know who we're trying to bring into the program and it's, um, it's to help with their individual growth. But the, the main standard thing is the set of scales based on your grade level and your instrument and picking a piece. As long as it's not like, you know, the third flute part from your band class, that won't <laughs> work. But, you know, come, come with the, you know, a good flute etude, a solo, you know, the levels vary mm-hmm. um, from student to student each year.
1: Right, right, right. And is there also a financial, is there financial help? I think we have a question about this later about how this is funded and how it all works from that angle. But I'm interested to see if if your target audience is just students of color, if you're also trying to maybe give this opportunity to students who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford lessons to begin with.
2: Right, right. So generally like say if you had a student that wanted to audition for a TDP, um, the application is $10. With that $10 as they go through the audition process, TDP will cover the cost for um, the musicians who sit and listen to them. If they advance to the next rounds and they'll be paired with the teacher to take trial lessons, TDP covers those costs as well. They cover the cost to have the musicians there for the final audition for the final audition process. And for all the students who are currently in the program. TDP covers the cost for their weekly private lessons. So that is the biggest resource that we um, afford our students in these communities. Um, Like I said before, because even for me, a lot of these students, their private teacher, quote unquote, is their band or orchestra teacher in school. And when they go home, like a lot of times I did, they're on their own. Unless they, you know, ask their teacher to go help them with their band music afterwards and the teacher is willing to stay there, which a lot of good music teachers are which I don't think I was prepared for, which is why I left education. <laughs> um, you know, that's how they get to that point. And, you know, just being able to afford lessons with a lot of our families, our program is not need-based. So it does not depend okay. on how much income a family makes. Anybody um, with, as long as you fit the criteria on who we serve in, um, for our program, Anybody is open to doing the auditions, but like I said, the biggest that we do is afford- we cover the costs for the musicians, and we also help um, cover costs towards tuition for summer music programs, mm. um, so they can help continue their training once you know youth orchestra is done and the final season is done and school is out, so they're no longer in band or orchestra. So we want to make sure that they keep up with that training. So we'll put funds; they have guaranteed funds and scholarship to help go toward. Go to you know Brevard, Interlochen, mm-hmm. Swanee, and all of that during the summer. So they'll be they'll continue to pro- progress as they come back for next season. So yeah. um, summer camps, private lessons are some are the biggest costs that we'll help cover for um, our students. And then we also will give them opportunities, owning to the original one of the original needs for why this program was created to help them get to Symphony Hall so they can actually see the ASO perform. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we will help um, cover costs for tickets so they and their parents can actually go and enjoy the um, classical music in Symphony Hall stage school. Cool,
0: cool. Yeah, that's really cool. So some of these kids start out when they're going into fifth grade with this program. And naturally, just, just by virtue of that, Not everyone is going to end up pursuing music professionally. Now, I I speak about this a lot. In the very least, they're going to finish the program being educated consumers of classical music. But what would you say the percentages of the people that complete the program through their senior year that actually do end up going on professionally, or at least to a conservatory or a college of music?
2: The majority. I... Can't give the percentage right now off the top of my head, but I will say the majority of our uh, graduates have gone on to do music professionally. We've had a good amount of students that have gone, that have completed the program and have actually gone on to um, do well in other uh, occupations as, um, also. But that's kind of how we structure the program as well. And I tell parents this at the beginning, students and parents this at the beginning, is like at any point you feel like music is not, something that you are as passionate about as you really thought, you'll at least learn basic skills through TDP's requirements to help you succeed in other areas. So you are gonna have to be prompt. You're gonna have to show up somewhere on time. You're going to have to be prepared when you get there. As my band director in college would say, you know, don't go to class and just be a piece of furniture. Actually be prepared to do the to do, you know, get through the lessons so you can get a good grade. And so a lot of what we do and how the program is structured is to help give them not just tools to be successful in music, but tools to be, you know, successful functioning adults as they progress. So you can take, you know, I have to learn this piece of music within a certain time frame. And that can translate to, you know, I have to get I have to study for the bar within this time frame so I can be mentally prepared to actually take the test, you know. So it's it's a lot that we try to afford afford both the students and the parents, not just musically. Of course, that's the main focus, but other ways as well, a sense of community so they can, you know, get start to network. With future colleagues right. that they may have in uh, TDP, we try to bring families together as most as much as as much as possible. Obviously, COVID destroyed that this year, yeah. but um, you know, a sense of community, being able to network, being open to you know, um, reach out and learn from others, and just you know, have the basic steps that can help them function when they get to college. And this is why we, you know stray away from saying that the goal of TDP is to diversify American orchestras because once they graduate from TDP and go to college, we have no control if they change Mm -hmm. their major. Like I can't go up to you know Juilliard and say, you made this commitment, you can't (laughs) decide that you want to leave Juilliard and go study technology and do something else. We're not having that, you know, you know, we can't do that. So It's totally up to them but we what we hope is one that they're successful in whatever they do afterwards and they'll still be listed as an alumnus of our program that we're still proud of. We have doctors that are currently working. We have lawyers that have come through TDP on top of educators. A lot of our students, especially in recent times, are really um, dedicated to going and performing and taking auditions for major orchestral performances, and we've had some success in that regard as well. So it's really a full scope. We're actually doing an evaluation um, through our grant funding from the Mellon Foundation, and we're um, getting a lot of good feedback from our alums and seeing where, they, where they're up to, what they've been up to, and um, what they're doing professionally. And it's been really eye-opening to kind of help see how we can, you know, build upon what the program has already been doing. Yeah.
0: And again, you know, the, the fact that there are doctors and lawyers who are alums, <laughs> these people are going to probably attend concerts at their local symphony orchestra. And back, if they're back. doctors and lawyers, they're probably going to donate and they may even serve on the board. And th- this... I would say equally fulfills the mission oh, of sure. the woman you mentioned earlier who founded TDP, who, who at first had the idea for it, who was on the board of the Atlanta mm-hmm. Symphony and wanted to see more people like her on the board and still the is. audience as well.
2: Still yeah. is. A live partner through the Atlanta uh, Oh, awesome. She is still very much involved in the program that founded. That is
0: spectacular! That is so cool. Absolutely fantastic. And
1: I and I think I mean we know of at least one student who's come through your program and now is at the Cleveland Institute of Music near us, which um, is uh, I believe a trombone player. Yeah,
0: I, I don't remember his name, but uh, I I have a couple of friends who are at C I M and told me about him, uh, so. trombone player who uh, they played an orchestra with and is from Atlanta. So yeah. Is it Vincent Tapia? Yeah. I, I, I
2: wish
1: I could that
2: confirm, I I think I that's the name. That sounds right. Vincent was, um, uh, he's one of my uh, favorite alums just because <laughs> he was able to adapt when I took over pretty quickly. <laughs> and oh, so yeah. then he ended up going to Cleveland and we we're very, you know, happy yeah. with him and he was able to actually come back and talk. So we're trying to get more representation of TDP um, and Cleveland, of course, at more uh, other conservatories, but we have a few alums at Cleveland. And so trying mm-hmm. to keep that, Relationship going with their president in their missions department,
0: so yeah. it's great. we'll take
1: them from there if if they want. We'll just, we'll just make a little triangle here, um, right? But yeah.
0: So you, you talked a lot about the opportunities afforded to the participants of TDP, but a lot of it—private uh, lessons and attending the Atlanta Symphony with their families and things like that. A lot of it is an individual thing. You did mention you do try to get all of these people together so they can get to know each other. Pre-COVID, what were some of the events that you held to bring all of these families and people together? So before I get into what
2: the program does, like I said, our founder is still very much involved and a lot of our alumni parents are evolved to help the program be successful as well. So um, a lot of times they'll serve as mentors to current families so they can help nurture and guide them through um, any struggles that they may have so they can stay focused and um, continue their diligent work to getting to the, the finish line, which is getting accepted into college or conservatory. Um, but we, they will host a winter, um, what's the word I'm looking for, social and a summer social. And that takes place, usually um, will take place at one of the homes of the current students, a current parent where you know, the volunteers who help um, start the program with Mrs. Hill and Mrs. Grambling, um, the current students, myself, everybody, the whole TDP family and community is invited. And it's just a way for us to you know, catch up and enjoy good food, um, you know, see what our alumni are up to. Yeah. Our current students can get um, get to know each other better. Our current families can get to know each other better. So those two things happen pre-COVID times, you know, one in the summer, one in the winter. Part of our requirements for the Family oriented. It takes a village. Is what we call family touch points, and those are family meetings. So we have three of those in the fall and three of those in the spring, and those are where we can all come together. And we'll I'll either lead a session or have a guest artist come and lead a session on different topics in music, and especially those topics that pertain to the students and families that we serve. So I think one of the last big ones that I did that I think got a good response was, you know, what's it like and how to prepare being the only female in a male dominated section? What's it like if you are the only person of color in at summer camp or mm. in youth orchestra and those type of topics? Mm. And of course, you know, on the deeper side, and then of course the general side on, you know, tips on how you can overcome performance anxiety, how you can you know, set aside your practice schedule uh, schedule more efficiently. So we have those kind of topics um, as well, where the students can come learn. And then we'll also some, a lot of times set aside some time for, we'll split them up into groups where they can actually talk to each other and learn more about each other. Same with the parents. So we have those family touch point meetings each year. Um, they are mandatory for the current students and families to go to. So that's another way that we, um, create the community aspect one of those family touch points actually is a potluck so nice. it's just everybody comes you know to the art center they bring their own dish and you know we will probably I'll try to either invite some of our alums to come back because that usually takes place in November where most people will be home for mm-hmm. the holidays and so come back and just talk to everybody and reaffirm what they're doing so everybody who's currently going through it can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel so those right. are just community um and family oriented events that we have for TD.
1: Yeah. So those those sessions about uh being female and a male dominate section, those things, those are for the full family. Mm-hmm. Yes. okay, very cool. the so students cool.
2: and one parent has to be present for the family touch point <laughs> at least. Yeah, one.
1: that's very cool. I think I think that's important and something that I could definitely take into what we're doing here is make getting our families, our parents more involved with the process. Of what their students are learning every week when they come into the symphony hall, of getting them more on board, more than just I drop my student off and then I wait until they're done, but actually getting them a little more involved. So I, I think that's, that's that's really interesting. I, I I really like that you all do that. I'm interested to know, and I know. Um, I'm lucky I'm lucky enough to know Jennifer Barlamet, who is your executive director. She's one of my favorite people in the entire world. I love her very much. Um, but I'm interested to know how TDP fits in with the rest of what happens at ASO and how TDP has affected what's happening at ASO as an institution.
2: So a lot of the work that TDP does that I think really, you know, is in line with what the ASO's mission is as an orchestra and an institution is to really, like I said at the beginning, um, continue to connect more with the wider Atlanta community, to share the standard classical music side with Atlanta, with the city of Atlanta, no matter who lives here and making sure that they're all welcome. So, you know, when we're planning our season and just for basic recruitment efforts. And I want to go and I, and I want to say, you know, maybe I can go to the Latin American Association and go to one of their youth day events and have some of our TDP students perform, you know, at their function, you know, I can talk to those parents and students and tell them that, you know, you have a home in the city of Atlanta that you can come to. You can come and see students that look like your child performing these works. You can see them performing works by people from your same nationality, as we're working through, you know, having more diverse programming. And so I think that ties into a lot of what the Atlanta Symphony um, is ultimately trying to do as they go forward as a major um, symphony orchestra, especially in a very diverse majority, currently majority Black city of Atlanta. So, you know, just having TDP there and as a model program that other orchestral organizations are looking at to kind of see how they can, you know, have a bigger hand in their communities, I think works really well between TDP and Atlanta. I mean, If Atlanta, at this point, if Atlanta didn't have a program like TDP, you know, being the birth, the cradle of the civil rights movement, you know, the founder of the program being, you know, the wife of a civil rights leader would be kind of impossible for, you know, everybody to kind of take any initiative seriously. So I think, you know, it really helps shape the ASO's overall goal, just being at the bare minimum saying, everybody is welcome in our hall, and we'd like you to come in here. If you're a lover of music, which we know a lot of you are, we welcome you to come and just meet us, and we wanna be more um, more involved
0: in you know your everyday activities. Yeah. So sort of piggybacking off of that, has, would you say the Atlanta Symphony has been ahead of the curve, the professional ensemble itself ahead of the curve in programming and performing works by minority composers?
2: I definitely think Atlanta has done a tremendous job of you know, being able to have the advantage of being able to work with local composers in Atlanta and having a program like TDP where we can actually invite our alums back to come on stage and solo with the orchestra or perform with the orchestra as well, we just had one this past uh, Fall, one of our prominent alums, Xavier Foley, who's a phenomenal professional bass player, and he actually premiered one of his own compositions um, with the Atlanta Symphony as well. So, and there's obviously more talks about how we can, can um, incorporate more pieces with composers of color. I know a lot more that is coming for this upcoming season, and we're also trickling that down to the Atlanta Symphony Youth Orchestra. They actually... Um, are working on a piece by William Grant Still currently, so um, it's actually the same piece that we did when I was at college, um, Out of Silence. So, um, and then of course more rep for TDP. So I think Atlanta is in a really, really good spot where somebody, the average Joe, can look at at a concert um, across the board and say, "Wow, there's a there's more and more representation coming here on their stage in various levels from the kids to the adults."
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. So. I, I've already mentioned that there's definitely some things that I can learn from your all, y'all's program and, and implement here, but um, I mean, we've said this a couple of times, something we're trying to do here at the Canton Symphony is, is make what our hall looks like reflect our community because um, the Canton community, not as, um, not as uh, a majority Black as Atlanta is, but definitely a large portion of the Canton city area is black and our audience is not and our youth symphony is not. So what are some orchestras and what are some things that we could learn from looking at your program and if we're trying to implement something similar in our own communities, what do you think we could learn from you all and take into our own institutions?
2: You know, it's actually um, an interesting question because, like I mentioned before, we're actually doing an evaluation on the TDP program. And we're actually getting ready to host a symposium on how orchestral organizations can actually create and fund pathway programs similar to TDP or the one in Chicago, CMPI, or Nashville's Accelerando program for that to kind of, you know, help you know, um, not only help bring the community and their audiences that's reflective of the cities that they they serve in, but also to help other students that are from underrepresented backgrounds who have an interest in classical music to make sure that they, you know, are at the forefront of, you know, getting them out into the professional world. So I think a lot of what um, other organizations can learn from us is just, you know, what we're what we've been doing for almost 30 years now, you know, who do you want to, who, what, what is your target? Who's your target that you want to, you know, take from the next, from one spot to the next, you know, TDP works with African-American Latinx students, other organizations, they, you know, will work with Southeast Asian um, students of that descent. They may work with white families who may be of a certain income that may, like you mentioned before, may not be able to afford lessons. So one, who are you, um, who are you trying to um, target for your purpose? And two, how are you going to uh, enact that? Who can you reach out to and, you know, share the mission and your idea about that so they can, you know, hop on board and believe what you're doing, just like Mrs. Hill did with the ASO and other leaders across Atlanta so they can, you know, see the mission as well. And then, of course, three, how are you going to do that? You know, is it going to be, covering the cost of lessons because you know that they won't, the parents may not be able to because they may be, of you know, working class, a lot of them may be working class families who are just trying to, you know, get through the day like many of us are and, you know, paying 60 to a hundred dollars for one lesson each week may be out of the question for the time. Um, Are you going to help them, you know, get, are you going to help them come and enjoy concerts to the hall for that type of thing, are you gonna be able to help connect them to the right people? So it's just a lot of, you know, what we're doing and um, what we've already been doing in the community, just with, you know, how we help our students going forward and getting them to conservatory level. So I think, like I said, Programs like TDP, Nashville, um, PMA in Philadelphia, Chicago Musical mm-hmm. Pathways, Boston Beans program. Now Cleveland has their training program in the one um, in D- Baltimore and D.C. Um, I talk with all these program managers on a weekly basis yeah. and we kind of like <laughs> bounce ideas off each other. But you can definitely look towards any of these um, organizations and just kind of get an idea of what you think your organization would work best for your organization. Like you just mentioned, Canton has a very different, you know, um, demographic than Atlanta. And so, you know, what, what did Atlanta do for the black population there that you can, you know, reciprocate to the black population in Canton? You know, are the students in Canton schools districts, are, are a lot of them interested in going to classical music route? If yes, then you have a really good lead for that. If not, then maybe you come back and, you know, reevaluate some other areas on what your ultimate goal is for that. So I think those are some tips that you can, um, some ways and tips that you can look at if you're thinking about, you know, building a um, a program similar to what we're doing at TDP.
0: Absolutely, and you know we we should send some of our representatives from Canton down to Atlanta for your symposium when that happens. So yeah.
1: well, it's online. Let us know. it's virtual this year, but I'll be I'll be going. I already have. My
2: oh, second. perfect! Yes, don't yes, worry.
1: Definitely. Don't you worry? I'll be there. And this podcast episode will come out afterwards um, after the symposium, but um, I will make sure to update
0: everyone about how it went. I'm sure.
1: <laughs> it, I'm I'm very excited. It's on my calendar. But, yeah. <laughs>
0: So as we finish up today, we are going to ask you the question we ask all of our guests at the end of their episode. This podcast is, of course, called Orchestrating Change. So how do we orchestrate change?
2: Like I said before, it's really about what you feel is, you know, what's your worth? what you feel like is worth it for this field you know i think continuing to just work with young students in general the way we can orchestrate change in our field is to start young and you know, i'm not necessarily saying that you have to target a certain group i think if you target you know kids across the board in general then you'll help orchestrate change by bringing in a new generation of classical music lovers that will at least be in your concert halls and then we'll eventually um, end up on your stage as well. So I think if we can put um, enough emphasis on how important our work is across the board for everybody, then the changes will con- will can will continue to come that way we won't have to worry about, you know, who are we going to market this to, how are we going to continue to get our funding because it will be there. You've already, you know, worked and trained the next generation to come and they understand what's what's to happen. So I think that's, that would be my answer to that question. I hope it, I hope it makes sense. Yeah, and
1: I, you know, I think it's, it's interesting hearing everyone's answers. And I think the through line is always just exposing more people to classical music. And if we can get our young people on board, I think that's all the better.
0: Well, Ryan Walks, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you guys for
2: having me. It was really great to be able to speak with you all. I have to come and take a trip to
0: Canton it's warmer.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: (laughs) Please do. We'd love to have you here. Ryan Walks, manager of the Talent Development Program at the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra.
1: Orchestrating Change is a production of the Canton Symphony Orchestra.
0: Our theme music was composed by Eric Gould and performed by Derek Snyder and Tim Adams.
1: Our audio engineer is Nathan Maslick.
0: Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.